With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash activecash. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a house. It's your home. The place that's filled with memories. The early days of figuring it out to the later years of still figuring it out. For the place you've put down roots, trust Amica Home Insurance. Amica, empathy is our best policy. Good morning. In less than an hour, aircraft from here will join others from around the world, and you will be launching the largest aerial battle in this history of mankind. Mankind. That word should have new meaning for all of us today. We can't be consumed by our petty differences anymore. We will be united in our common interests. Perhaps it's fate that today is the 4th of July, and you will once again be fighting for our freedom. Not from tyranny, oppression, or persecution, but from annihilation. Bruiser Holden McNeely. We're fighting for our right to live, to exist. And should we win the day, the 4th of July will no longer be known as an American holiday, but as the day when the world declared in one voice, hold in one voice with me, we will will not not go quietly into the night. We will not vanish without a fight. We're We're going going to live on. on. We're going to survive. Today, we celebrate our Independence Day. Uh, Wizard Jake. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Today, we're talking about the fantastic summer blockbuster Independence Day, just in time for uh, the holiday that everyone is so thrilled to celebrate in this year of our Lord 2022. America. Fuck no. (laughs) Things are not going quite the way we planned it. But Jake and I have, that's why, been lamenting about this film a little bit. And and, and it's so bittersweet. I think this is a good movie to watch this year, guys, if you don't just watch it every single year around this time. Because not only does it take you back, for us at least, I don't know what how old you were when this movie came out. Maybe you were much younger, much older, whatever. But for us, it was came out the perfect time of the summer blockbuster for kids our age where you literally you grew up in you know for me charlotte north carolina there were four things to do it was bowling mm-hmm. maybe laser tag if you could get enough people together if it was like some rich kid's birthday celebration station again that was a special treat or go to the movies and man did this movie not take care of all the things we needed which was to be over two hours so you could really soak in that a good ac mm-hmm. And take up the better part of an afternoon that you were trying to kill. You're trying to swat like a bug. Mm -hmm. But also it had it all. Explosions, aliens, comedy. Vivica A. Fox doing a cool strip dance. 
all of it, all of it, all in in one film, and and it just felt like when it came out as a kid, like this movie's got everything. You know that when you would feel that way, it had things that you didn't even realize you needed in a movie. It put stuff in the movie that, like, for the next thirty years, like now you can barely escape. Yes, totally. Like it was so formative, and absolutely. It was like the height of uh, all these big effects were done for the most part practically and just the insane amount of ingenuity that made all these like tinky tack balsa wood models of landmarks blowing the fuck up was thrilling. Um, I mean, this is like how hype it was. This was like the first movie to get a Super Bowl teaser ad to like get you hyped for the summer. Of the fucking White House blowing up, not just a simple Super Bowl teaser ad. Dude, seeing the White House explode, and again, and again, by the way, that's where we have to start also talking about how this was a pre-9-11 America. This was a pre- Wherever the hell oh, we're at now, America, this and was, it was mean, a I, much funner place. April, if you can just play a little bit of the 1996 Super Bowl teaser trailer and just try to imagine like in a world where these kind of movie ads did not like we're not par for the course. This was like an innovative way to market a movie to the most eyeballs possible and get them hyped as fuck. July 2nd, they arrive. July 3rd, they attack. July 4th is... Independence Day. Coming this summer. (laughs) So, I mean, so the thing about this movie that does, especially in modern in modern times makes it so like kind of out of time out of place is the uh fact that it was 1996 uh era where the Soviet Union had fallen and 911 hadn't happened yet and if you're a millennial you were coming of age in this weird world where like America just kind of won we were yeah, the we, good like, guys people were pretty thrilled with this country you know and uh, that's kind of the way i remember it too where obviously there were problems you know it ain't me it ain't mm-hmm. me i ain't your fault you know what i mean i mean we still had that in our heads you know forrest gump you know what i mean but it was that's the thing it was a thing of the past too it was like remember when america was in such turmoil and now we can all just sit around and count our money and dri- drive our big giant car and you know over animals and then collect the animals and cook them and feed them to our to our young you know I, what i it's mean it's part of the uh it's i feel like it's part of very much the message of the movie and roland emmerich is just an unabashedly political director like his houses in london and hollywood are filled with like weird uh outsider art of like mao and jesus and princess die like doing fucked up shit like he uh, made movies about global warming. He made movies about, uh, uh, st- he made a Stonewall movie that not a lot of people liked, but, you know, uh, he was this West German rich kid that, like, uh, a gay man made it to America and, like, actually had something to say. And Independence Day, this is a movie where you have Will Smith, Jeff Goldblum, uh, Bill Pullman, not Bill Paxton. Huh? I, I got it straight. Good. 
<laughs> the and Randy Quaid, which Quaid? The, yeah, Randy the weirder Quaid. Quaid. Weird Good Quaid. old Randy. Yeah, <laughs> the weird Quaid representing literally a Jewish man, a black man, a waspy president, and a drunken redneck, all individually forming together this like response to this totalitarian singular. Uh, wave of unstoppable kind of uh, uh, control that is putting a shadow over the country. Like, there's a reason why all this is happening. The soundtrack is uh, by, what's his name? David Arnold is all blaring trumpets and little, uh, like, drum snares and even, like, piccolo solos uh, evoking, like, the Revolutionary War and and, uh, a noble fight. Uh, The, you know, we'll talk about it, but the movie takes its sweet ass time to get to the destruction. I know when we watched it on the uh, Sunday study group, by the way, if you go to patreon.com forward slash whisper, you can get bonus episodes. And at a, this, at a study group tier, we do weekly streams where we engage with stuff. Uh, we were like being like, man, when are they going to get to the aliens? We get introduced to our four main characters and like 20 other characters named with a relationship to those characters. Like we are given this whole circle of humanity that represents rich, poor, multiple creeds, multiple religions, and also Brett Spiner uh, kind of like dealing with this insurmountable force. And by the end, they're all coming together and working in ways and like kind of, you know, triumphing. It's this like, you know, this, this Roland Emmerich, Dean Devlin, paradigm that ended up kind of you know there's so many disaster movies that came out since i'm thinking of the yeah. rock in san andreas uh keanu reeves and the day the earth stood still oh, uh, yeah. tom cruise and war of the world but every two also every alien invasion in a marvel film it feels completely inspired by independence day like every there were just so many movies that came after that that wouldn't be oh. without independence day or wouldn't have those crazy you know the way that that cityscapes are destroyed constantly like it was nothing uh there's so many movies especially in the superhero glut like i'm thinking of a bunch of the later x-men movies and a lot of the uh-huh. dc movies where like yeah just like 15 minutes of cgi buildings just going completely yeah. toppling over the first avengers movie yeah. is very i think inspired so yeah and and on top of that just think about how long it had been since the disaster film was popular. Really, the disaster film was really a thing in the seventies, and well, alien it, invasion films hadn't been a thing for quite some time. It's I I was like trying to. Get, I'm glad you're talking about this, Holden, because I was trying to wrap my head around like, yeah, this is a classic disaster movie. This is you yeah. know like uh, the Towering Inferno or the Poseidon Adventure and all this stuff. Uh, and I was like, yeah, why did why was it? How long was it actually out of the popular imagination and According to the Disaster Film Wikipedia article that runs through the history of the genre, it all petered out in 1980 mm. when Airplane came out and just took the piss out of all the beats. <laughs> and when I think about it, a lot of, uh, you know, the structure of Independence Day does kind of mirror Airplane where, you know, you're introduced to all the, hi, I'm yep. this character, I have this issue, yep. and I'm trying to get over this, and by conquering the great problem, it will represent me moving forward with this issue. Yeah. Which is exactly what uh, happened. You know, uh, uh, President Whitmore is a uh, feckless president that can't seem to do anything right, and uh, by the end, he, like, summons the courage to, like, boldly lead his people to victory. Uh 
Jeff Goldblum's David is like uh, unmarried. You know, he's divorced and uh, under he's not he's overqualified for his job and his dad wants him to be happy, but he's he just can't take a decisive role in his life. Uh, Will Smith wanted to be a cool NASA guy and then he gets to go into space. Uh, Randy Quaid was sad that aliens did stuff to his butthole and everybody makes fun of his butthole. And then he shoves <laughs> his, his plane up an alien butthole. Like it yeah. all comes full circle. I love it. The opening scene with Jeff Goldblum and his dad played by Judd Hirsch. Great Jewish dad acting, by the way. Mwah, Amazing. Yeah, he did win best Jewish dad in mm-hmm. uh, the Oscars in the that daddies year, that you know, it's 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 the kind of like very efficient blockbuster storytelling that uh, nowadays people, you know, I'm sure on Rick and Morty, they make fun of it where it's just like, hey, I still see you're wearing your ring. Like and then Jeff Goldblum's like, hey, that styrofoam cups bet. And like within a page of dialogue on in the screenplay, you know exactly what who he is. You know exactly what his relationships are. And you are like already on board with his perspective going forward. And. Will Smith does the same thing. He's getting ready in the morning. He's like kissing his girlfriend. He's banging his his uh, toe on his uh, his girlfriend's kid's bike. Like he's you know we're all getting this very humanist perspective out of the way so that when the giant destruction hits, it it matters more than I'd say a lot of these. Uh, superhero movies where the destruction just kind of happens to other people just for the sake of spectacle. I, I don't know. It's just, it's so weird that Emmerich's like later movies just never recaptured this level of yeah. success and popular imagination. Cause good Lord. I think he almost got shoehorned into the disaster film thing because one thing, I mean, we'll, we'll get into it in just a second, a little bit more so, but one thing he did before this that put him on the map was Stargate and mm. Stargate was this really interesting. I think it, Unfortunately, he should have gotten probably shoehorned into the just general genre of sci-fi, mm-hmm. and he probably would have continued to be successful. But instead, they were like, no, 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 you have to keep making more like world and danger movies in different forms and facets. And and so he stayed in that lane, and that never he never quite caught the same fire. Whereas if he had just kept focusing on like alien bullshit, he probably would have been okay. Well, he kind of did that with, uh, you know, Independence Day Resurgence in 2016, which I watched. I mean, I yeah, apparently you're the only person who's ever told me it was any good, Jake. So uh, well, I guess we'll get into I that was later. Bracing, we'll talk, I guess we'll, if we have time, we'll talk about it at the end. I'm just saying I was bracing myself for like unprecedented shit show. And the fact uh-huh. that it was just a middle of the road Roland Emmerich blockbuster with a bunch of actors from the first movie running around was fine. Um, and then uh, Moonfall, most recently, also involves spooky aliens doing spooky alien stuff. Yes. And nobody cares because it's just, I honestly think it's the practical effects and just the having that perfect cast of actors that hadn't. I think what was it? More models than have ever been used in a film before or since. Correct. Uh, I mean, we're talking about an abs- absurd amount of practical effects, more so than I even realized, because, again, this was... you Again, you forget that, like... I mean, first of all, everyone... The studio execs literally were... And, uh, and I'll get into more detail on this, but they were literally like, a black guy in the la-la-la lead of a blockbuster. You know, it's just like, what is your stutter? 
fix your stutter, <laughs> go to, I, I'm sure you can find a specialist, but besides that too. It's weird that that movie executive had the same uh, physical response to hearing about Will Smith being cast in the movie <laughs> as Shaggy does when he sees a g g g ghost. <laughs> exactly. He's got to get this guy out of here, this guy with this crazy stutter, whatever <laughs> he's worried about something. But also, um, you know, they didn't know going into, they were like, how are we going to do this? We don't even know how we're going to pull this off. And that's what's so zany about the whole thing that you forget about like oh nothing really existed like this before this so when you're watching the super bowl and you see the fucking white house explode Mm -hmm. it's a huge deal it's crazy it's something they've never attempted you know and uh, so yeah that that is that's what we have to transport ourselves back to a world in which we didn't see just a constant slew of films destroying cityscapes in a very similar way, oftentimes under alien attack, a pre-9-11 world, a pre-all the current bullshit going on in this world world. I don't know what, to, you know, maybe you're listening to this far in the future. And first of all, hey, future person, we come in peace. Uh, don't, I don't know how you'd hurt past us, but don't please, uh, time travel back and like attack us or whatever. Oh, Holden, but. it's, I've been actually, uh, roaming the wasteland, uh, recounting <laughs> past episodes as, uh, as the holder of the past. And like, I get fed rat meat scraps in exchange. You are the past Lord. I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so anyways, uh, th- it really should, uh, just make you feel I think a lot of what we try to get people to feel in the course of doing the show, just a weird, bittersweet sense of nostalgia, not just for our childhood, but for a country that once really was like something, a place to be excited about and a place that felt like, yeah, if the aliens came down, mm-hmm. we'd all band together and fucking rip this open. And, and at this point, I'd be like, dude, the aliens would come down. A bunch of people in high powers of office would like, side with the aliens <laughs> you know what I mean? you just like and then it'd be all gonna be in then florida would be like yeah i like the alien you know and they did have oh, people literally the fact that the aliens were targeting major cities would mean yeah. that like there's right. somebody like, in power oh, that'd be good. like yeah mm-hmm. well good we got to get back to american values you know what i mean sorry Jesus it's always sent southern those spaceships to destroy right stamford connecticut for or their like, devilish ways they exist i don't even think they exist <laughs> i haven't seen it you see the picture? Obviously doctored. You know what uh, I mean? That's, yeah. yeah, there's no conspiracy theorist trying to like say that up is not up and down is not down. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So it's already irrelevant to today's term. So let's transport you all the way back to 1996 when this American sci-fi action film was released, directed by Roland Emmerich and co-written by him and Dean Delvin. It stars Will Smith, Bill Pullman, Jeff Goldblum, Mary McDonald, Judge Judd Hirsch, Margaret Collin, Randy Quaid, and many more, and centers around the aftermath of a worldwide attack by an extraterrestrial race as the U.S. and the rest of the world launch a counterattack oh on the 4th of July. Mm. Let's get into Roland Emmerich, who surprisingly grew up in Germany, not America at all. His rich father, though, however, funded many travels through Europe and North America during his youth, and in his early 20s, he went to the University of Television and Film Munich to be a production designer, but this all changed when he saw Star Wars in the theater, and after that, he said, I wish to be a director! His final thesis in 1981, just to show you how much gumption this guy has, I think a lot of this story is based based on Roland Emmerich just like 
really putting himself out there uh, as a young filmmaker. He went to, uh, uh, for his final thesis in 1981, he was supposed to be a short film, but he ended up writing and directing a full-length feature called The Noah's Ark Principle on a budget of $600,000, which was about 60 times the amount of money his fellow students were pulling together for their thesis project. So, yeah, there's a very interesting... I did not realize Roland Emmerich was the heir to a West German garden machinery company. Yes, a garden machinery In a uh, profile about him that I read, uh, he said, I knew very early that I didn't want to do that, but I also didn't know what I wanted to do, so I was dabbling in a lot of things, and then after a while, it slowly occurred to me that film would be great. Uh, In film school, I had to make movies, so I made movies and was quite successful, and all of a sudden, I was a director. Uh, the fact that he did have this daddy bankroll to make these larger than life sci-fi epics for his student project thesis, uh, you know, maybe didn't hurt. But it also gave him very early experience uh, dealing with stuff like effects and bigger productions that would give him a head, you know, a leg up. Uh, he actually got a lot of pushback for this kind of uh, filmmaking. Uh, he says in the same profile, um, uh they, talking about his uh, his fellow students, uh, did these kind of German movies, and I just couldn't make movies like that. I wanted to make movies like Steven Spielberg and George Lucas. I just did it, and they were relatively successful, but critically, more and more hated. They said, why is he making movies like this here? So, like, from the get-go, he wanted to break big in America, and a lot of his early movies, even the ones produced in Germany for the German market, were done in English language and had kind of weird sci-fi adventure uh, premises. Yes, the Noah's Ark uh, principle is a sci-fi film about a space station that can control the weather at any location on Earth, and uh, apparently it's it's used sort of as a terrorism device, even though it was initially created for for uh, well-meaning purposes. And the whole thing is that there's these people on the ship, and no one can tell who's like secretly evil or not it's one of those kinds of like mental warfare kind of holden are you saying roland emmerich created the game among us is that what you're saying yeah the nose art principle really is among us (laughs) isn't it (laughs) i just realized that as uh, as well people are fucking up a spaceship and you don't know who to trust interesting (laughs) i'm very smart (laughs) <laughs> the movie premiered at the Berlin International Film Festival in 1984, and after that, Emmerich founds his own production company, uh, and he makes three more films in Germany. A techno-horror fantasy film called Joey, which is also known as Making Contact in the States. A comedy called Hollywood Monster, also known as Ghost Chase. This is a film about a film crew working in a haunted mansion. And lastly, Moon 44. This man's obsessed with moons. Uh, another sci-fi movie about a futuristic mining site on a place called Moon 44, at which an undercover agent is tasked with figuring out what happened to a bunch of missing corporate shuttles. The mining site is run by, like, uh, wily teenagers and um, uh, violent convicts. It's a whole situation. I don't know. It seems kind of crazy. It's also important that on the set of this film, he uh, had cast a young upstart, half Jewish, half Filipino actor by the name of Dean Devlin, and the two got along swimmingly. Yes. uh, Dean Devlin... Uh, also wanted to get into the script writing game, uh, and that was fortuitous for him, meeting up with Emmerich. 
He had some luck through the 80s acting in different TV shows and movies. You may even recognize him if you look him up. He, he plays like, I think, kind of like the nerdy teen in a lot of stuff. He kind of had a younger look. So he was one of those guys that got cast in a lot of like as kids when even though he was like in his 20s. So Emmerich and Devlin both end up in the U.S. and Emmerich is taped uh, is tapped to direct a futuristic action film called Isobar. Yeah, I have no idea what the fuck Isobar. I don't know what the fuck. It, that's a horrible name, by yeah. the way. Terrible name. However, Emmerich drops from the project after the producers reject a rewrite that Devlin did on the script. So that that goes to show how much he was uh, in support of Dean Devlin as a scriptwriter. He was really like, this is my guy. Instead, Emmerich directs a different film written by Devlin, and that would be the action hit starring Jean-Claude Van Damme and Dolph Lundgren titled Universal Soldier, which is a great I never saw one it. of those from that time period, uh, that big action. So, I mean, they're already honing their chops on the big action blockbuster. And back at this time, the big action blockbuster usually revolved around like one of five dudes, Mm -hmm. you know, like Schwarzenegger, Jean-Claude Van Damme, Stallone. You know, it was kind of like, it was all about your lead actor and about like the situation you were putting them in as opposed to this giant ensemble piece we're going to get with Independence Day. I will say- Step one, have your main guy- be a gruff outsider yeah. who, uh, even though he has the physical and mental capabilities to achieve the highest rank in his chosen field, he's just too much of a loose cannon. Step two, gibberish. Step three, <laughs> a guy standing in a field killing 300 people with a single clip <laughs> from a machine gun. <laughs> You know, action movies. I will also say that we have to acknowledge that this is a current reality where Jurassic Park has already come out. That Mm. came out in 1993. Big disaster movie. Ensemble cast. I mean, it wasn't like Independence Day, like... The sci-fi premise. It wasn't like Independence Day, like, rewrote the fucking... Reinvented the wheel or whatever. But still... Uh, it was much more, this was much more the landscape, the universal soldiers of the world, for sure, at the time. After that, Devlin and Emmerich would make a case for their being able to create massive franchise hits with their next movie, which I feel like we're going to have to do an episode on someday on its in its own right, uh, for, because it did turn into also like a whole French, beloved franchise, uh, although however niche it became. Uh, Their next movie uh, that they both wrote and Emmerich directed is called Stargate. Remember Stargate, Jake? It's still so weird to me. It's such a weird movie. That's a weird one. I mean, the, you know, the cast has incredible chemistry. Uh, Once you finally get over the fact of like, wait, why are they in space, Egypt? What is happening? Where am I? (laughs) Uh, It does, you know, it is visually striking. uh, And it's most, more importantly than it's, uh, you know, critical qualities it incredibly overperformed it was like kind of shunted into the october slot like pre-thanksgiving and it excelled wildly beyond people's expectations and that and it does play off stuff that i remember people being really into at the time it's still popular but i feel like it was the the theory started in popularity around this time in the 90s of like the aliens helped build the pyramids and like alien technology has been used in in ancient history to create these like things that we don't understand how man made them and mm-hmm. you know this that and the other and and so definitely it definitely was a good time for it, oh I feel like. God. And then you also have you have Val Kilmer in there. That is like Emmerich's MO is he'll take something you kind of heard of like and kind of run with totally. it. Totally. Because like, yeah, uh, yeah in, uh, Stargate is Ancient Aliens. Independence Day 
you know, alien invasion, but also like the idea that it all hinges on a computer virus uh-huh. and people are like, yeah, I, kind of, I think I saw a Newsweek article about that. I don't know how they work, yep. but I assume you can plug a Mac, a power book into a spaceship and it'll take care of things. Um, 2012 was all about like the, you know, Aztec calendar. Uh, Day After Tomorrow was all about global warming. Like he definitely thrives in taking a thing that you've kind of heard about and blowing that up into a big explosive movie. Absolutely. Dean Devlin said, we were doing a Stargate press junket and a reporter asked, do you really believe that aliens built the pyramids? We said no. And Roland interrupted me and said, yeah, but wouldn't it be the most exciting day ever if we woke up and there were 14 mile wide spaceships covering the sky? He leaned over to me and said, I think I have our next movie. Emmerich said, I already had great ideas, and then I had to only convince Dean of it because he said, well, I don't know, alien invasion movie. And I said, come to the window. Everything, what you see skyward will be the underbelly of a ship. Get it? And he said, oh, wow. Then he did a little dance that he talked to a dog that he said, hey, let's make the movie. And they did broke into this musical number. I mean, I'm telling you, it was. They had elephants. They had snake charmers. They had used cars salesman it was this unbelievable and they were like why don't we make this be the movie we're already performing a giant musical on a huge soundstage magically all of a sudden but emmerich said no you fool (laughs) musicals are for baby idiots and so they ended up making independence day the sources i read throughout the week uh (laughs) talked about how they were really excited of the idea of just the aliens just showing up just nakedly just like we are fucking here whereas for the most part a lot of the alien invasion movies at the time kind of keyed into like cold war era like they're among us and they do don't even know who to recognize or they're like hidden in a weird underground like secret lair or they're just like planting seeds in people's brains but the, it was like a refreshing choice that really excited them to just have the aliens show up in their ships ready to fuck shit up with the wells fargo active cash credit card you can earn unlimited two percent cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. Every day, our world gets a little more connected but a little further apart. But then there are moments that remind us to be more human. Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica, empathy is our best policy. Anyways, where were we, Jake? Sorry about that. Uh, you were musicals are for babies and idiots. All right, please. Uh, they're wonderful, uh, heartwarming tales. Uh, you're arguing with and... yourself now. You're just. <laughs> <laughs> I would have loved if this were a musical film. I would love to be talking about a musical right now. But no, we're talking about Independence Day. Now, this is the weird part of the story where they just decide to fuck over Tim Burton for what seems like no real good reason because he wasn't even making the same kind of movie as them. I mean, I don't think 
I, dear, if they are like, if they were that on the ball that they like understood that the parody like neutralizes the sincere effort the same way that Airplane killed the disaster movie. Ah, yeah, I guess that's true. They kind of realized they were excited about this project and, uh, you know, apparently they like cracked out the script and within a couple of days of sending it over, it got greenlit and they wanted it to do well. So it kind of became an early thing that like, all right. If this is going to work, it has it has to release before Mars Attacks, which they assumed really was going to be just a straight up like comedy parody that shat on the whole idea of alien invasion. Of course, Mars Attacks, I feel like, is so underrated. It ended up being really much more an ode to an older genre of sci-fi, its own weird little movie that in no way, I think, resembles Independence Day in hindsight. But they found out that Mars Attacks was slated to come out in August. So Emmerich said... Then I said to Dean, we have to do this earlier. And he said, like, is that possible? I said, yeah, everything is possible. And that's why the movie is called Independence Day, Mm -hmm. because we had to find some sort of way to tie it to a date, which was before August. So that whole thing of it being set on July 4th and being this whole, the whole what you feel like is the whole touchstone of the film is kind of an arbitrary decision made in order to just get uh, this film out ahead of Mars Attacks. It should have just been called Fuck You, Mars Attacks. <laughs> it would have been a more appropriate title. The studio, uh, I believe there was an existing movie uh, by Universal that already had the title Independence Day. And so getting the title was actually kind of in the air. That's why uh, the early uh, promotion still had it as ID4, which is mm-hmm. kind of what I know the movie as, because that's what it said on the Super Bowl commercial. Um, but the speech specifically yes. was like really put in there to hit home that it has to be called Independence Day. Uh, weirdly enough, there was a behind the scenes history of just the speech. And uh, they t- Devlin said that in the script, they kind of just had a placeholder that they were like, we'll rewrite this speech later. And when it came time to finally film it, uh, Devlin says that I came running on the set in a panic thinking we had screwed up. This is a scene we were supposed to spend weeks on and we just never got around to it. And when I got there, Bill was already rehearsing the speech. I was so nervous. But when he got to the end, all the extras went crazy, applauding and screaming. I looked at Roland and he looked at me and we were like, I guess this speech is pretty darn good. The only thing we changed was we added the last minute uh, at the last minute, the line today we celebrate our independence day. And the main reason we did it is because the studio at the time was threatening to change the title to doomsday. So we thought let's get it into the speech. I feel like what have been confusing is doesn't that line up with around the time Doomsday was associated with the murderer of Superman. Yeah, it's all right. So I feel it's like it would have been generic. a weird one. It also just doesn't. Yeah, it just doesn't even say alien. Well just, bad thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so they end up renting a house in Mexico and get to work on a script while watching tons of 70s disaster movies for inspiration. They wrote the script in three and a half weeks and had a full storyboard ready to rock as well by the end of it because they were storyboarding while they wrote. They uh, say not a word changed in the script after that point. Then they auctioned the film around. They didn't actually have a studio home for it at that point. They had the nine major studios at the time to auction it to, and they had three stipulations for any studio that was going to take them on. The pre-approved title, a pre-approved script, 
and pre-approved budget of almost $70 million. Universal and Fox fought over it with Fox winning out in the end. Apparently that budget came from the fact that they tried to get Emmerich for his next film to be, quote, like a Harrison Ford prison break movie. I'm wondering if that is Fugitive, by the way. I'm not exactly sure. When was the Fugitive? And the budget for that was $70 million, And he was like... That's seventy million. I could make my alien invasion movie for seventy million, and so no, the, the budget fugitive was, was ninety three. So that can't. Be oh, right. okay. So it had to have been after. Interesting. I don't know then what it was. <laughs> so uh, they get into the casting because they really wrote this stuff with certain actors in mind. Dean Devlin said, "One, the one character we had in our mind from day one was Jeff Goldblum. As we were working on the script, I would do my Jeff Goldblum imitation. Then we were basing his father, Judd Hirsch's Julius, off of my grandfather, who was also named Julius. Goldblum had already established himself as a successful actor in things like The Big Chill and The Fly through the 70s and 80s, but it was only a few years before this picture with Jurassic Park that he became a name akin to big blockbuster action hits. This was like a big resurgence for Jeff Goldblum. I remember this, too. Uh, This was like, between Jurassic Park and Independence Day, Jeff Goldblum was back in our general, like, uh, you know, in the general just pop-o-sphere. I mean, uh, who, what kind of weird child were you that you were watching The Big Chill and The Fly and like through 90... Well, weirdly, The Fly was always on afternoon television heavily censored. I don't know if you remember that, but like... You're kind of right. I did used to watch it, but I only watched it in this weird way of like, man, they made fucked up movies in the 80s. (laughs) Like, I never like looked at it like, oh, wow, this is like a big action movie star that I I mean, you're not wrong, Holden. They did, in fact, make fucked up movies in the 80s your child yes. brain did key into something oh and a and earth girls are easy was always weirdly oh, on God. in the middle of the day on comedy central and that's, various it was like the only movie TV channels that had jim carrey and uh jeff goldblum and uh which way one of the wayans uh-huh and they were like oh we got this one for like five bucks <laughs> like, i can't or- believe we're talking about earth girls are easy right now <laughs> Um, we'll do that episode where we're in the bottom of the barrel so come check that one in like five years yeah the only one who gets <laughs> nasty with an alien in this movie is Brent Spiner and he doesn't it doesn't seem that great uh, Roland Emmerich said and then I discovered because I saw this film six degrees of separation and I said Dean let's look at this because there's a kid in there who was awesome and that was Will Smith that was pretty much our two main guys there was also the president there were a lot of other characters but these two were the most important to us because they had to also later work really well together in the spaceship. And actually, Fox didn't agree at all. Smith had also already starred in a big action flick at that time. Bad Boys came out in 1995, but he was still more associated with his rap career and his sitcom career and from Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Devlin said, they said, talking about Fox, you cast a black guy in this part, you're going to kill foreign box office. Jeez. Our argument was, well, the movie is about space aliens. It's going to do fine foreign. It was a big war, and Roland really stood up for Smith, and we ultimately won that war. And I that quote really sticks out to me. That is wild stuff. Like, this is not that long ago, and you would never think that that kind of thing would have been said even at this time, right? Uh, that big of a fight against, not, not just 
not the actor, not the fact that he was like not this giant mega action star or anything. No, just the color of his skin. It was really, really fascinating that and how open they were about that too at the time. And and it's so funny to us now because of course after this we get Men in Black and you know mm-hmm. every whatever Wild West and whatever all the big summer you know Will Smith was the big summer blockbuster guy after this. It's but kind of not what made so Will time. Smith Will Smith was that he through uh, his character of. Stephen Hiller, uh, like he he's young, he's charming, but he's not like fully just kind of playing it as a white guy, like race neutral. Mm -hmm. All of his lines are kind of, you know, welcome to Earth. Like, uh, what the hell is that? smell? I got to get me one of the like he has Uh what a he has the safest version of like a black guy vernacular in response to all these outstanding events. And it makes him more accessible, more relatable, more personable. Yeah. And the fact that he did buck the uh, latent racism of a lot of international audiences made him this like must have movie star afterwards. He kind of like threaded this needle where he was like exciting and new and young and culturally different enough, but not threatening in a lot of ways. And it this, this uh, role in the movie really does kind of cement the Will Smith acting style for a lot of time, a lot of years to come. Yeah. Uh, next up, we've got Vivica A. Fox. She was actually a soap opera star at the time on Young and the Restless, and her agent wouldn't even let her get to the audition. Was like, they, "You're just a soap opera star. You're nothing. You're never going to make it in this world, kid." And uh, however, she had done a guest spot on Fresh Prince of Bel Air, and she was like, "Hey, my chemistry with Will Smith was excellent." Please get me in on this. And it was actually the casting people over on the Independence Day side that reached out for her to come in eventually. And she, of course, scores the role. Thank God this didn't work out. They initially were looking at Kevin Spacey to play the president character, namely because initially they had planned to do a different kind of bait and switch. They do a bait and switch with Bill Pullman's character in that he's like kind of indecisive he's sort of you know kind of not not up for the job and then and then by the end he's flying the plane and Mm -hmm. you know what i mean and then that's a cool arc for sure initially though they were going to have the potus seem evil at first then turn out to be the good guy right at the end in the airplane the studio actually did win the fight on this one and thankfully that was so and instead they went with bill pullman who had been working in film since the mid-80s. His first standout role was as Lone Star in Spaceballs. Emmerich uh, said this about Bill Pullman. He always said, I want to play this like, don't laugh now, but I want to play this like John Wayne. I said, okay, give it your best, John Wayne. I have no idea why he said that, but he played John Wayne in his mind. This approach worked great for the character arc, where he starts off weak and indecisive, and then he gives that grand speech at the end, and it really is this John Wayne-y moment, even though it's in his body and in his voice, so... Uh, he didn't do a full-on John Wayne impression. Obviously, that would have seemed ridiculous. But I think that bravado, that kind of confidence, that bravado going into battle, mm-hmm. he really nailed that. I sure. mean, it's uh, you got to remember that in 1996, it was a presidential election year. And like literally the candidates were asked about the movie. Bill Clinton gave it a I recommend it. Whereas Bob Dole said, bring your family. You'll be proud of it. Diversity, America, leadership, good over evil. I'm Bob Dole. <laughs> Which, again, kind of, you know, uh, I, you know, just to, to really push, like, think about how much of a different reality 1996 was. Like, politically, Bob Dole is, like, to the left of our current president at the moment. Oh, yeah, like, yeah, it's for sure. it's all over the place. And, you know, 
not, uh, you know, uh, five years after this movie came out, we got, uh, who did we get? We got our president, George W. Bush, in a flight suit uh, talking about mission accomplished in the Iraq war because this image of uh, of uh, of Bill, this image of Bill Pullman as this fighter pilot president uh, over uh, a global hegemony and cooperation was just so strong in people's minds. Like it's it really I don't want to bog down this whole episode just picking apart all of the imagery and all the. the but I think that's what really spoke to us in, in a, a rewatch of this movie is like. Go hide in this movie if you want to just like pretend or, or at least remember a time when this country actually legit was kind of badass and fun to be a part of, even though it was still committing horrible atrocities. And, you know, this idea, what are you going to do? You know what I mean? The idea that like the the F-18 fighter jet or F-16, I don't know exactly which plane it was, but like. Fighter jets were this completely outdated waste of resources. You know, a jet-to-jet combat had not mattered at all and still really is not, like, that big of a thing in modern conflicts. But, like, to fight aliens, we got the coolest toys. We got the most advanced tech. Uh, The idea that all of these global armies are just, like, sitting in wait, waiting for America to tell them what to do and being like, about bloody time the Yanks told us what, what. Please, finally, you give us some directions here because we were all sitting there unable to do a thing ourselves. Like, the you know, the the, as a kid, as this idealistic kid watching, like, the Israeli Air Force team up with, like, the uh, Lebanese Air Force to, like, uh, conquer the day against a common enemy was intoxicating, and it felt like that kind of peace would be just around the corner because we're America and we're so goddamn cool, we'll find a way. It just, like, really is, speaks to this, 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 optimism and this like hopeful future that we had back then with the wells fargo active cash credit card you can earn unlimited two percent cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need that means you earn on what you want like trying out that new workout class and two percent cash rewards on what you need like a foam roller for your sore muscles that's the beauty of the active cash credit card it's ready when you are with unlimited two percent cash rewards the wells fargo active cash credit card that's real life ready Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash activecash. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a house. It's your home. The place that's filled with memories. The early days of figuring it out to the later years of still figuring it out. For the place you've put down roots... Trust Amica Home Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. Next up, we've got Killer Clown Carl playing Secretary of Defense Paul Jenkins. Killer Clown had this to say about the part. <laughs> and then after that, you have what? <laughs> Wait, what? Where did that come just from? Just bits. I'm just having fun here. <laughs> All right. Next up, you got Randy Quaid. Uh, he had done mostly comedies leading up to this movie, including National Lampoon's Vacation and Caddyshack 2. He'd done a ton of stuff, though. He'd done a lot of dramas and things as well. Quaid said, I won a lot of money at the casino in Utah where we shot a lot of the film. 
There are too many great... That's a real quote, by the way. There are too many great actors in this film to get into each of them, but shout-outs to Mary McDonald, who plays the First Lady, Judd Hirsch, who plays the father of Goldblum's character. Cuckoo crossover on Mary McDonald, by the way. We uh, we did an interview with her for our Battlestar Galactica episode. Oh, hell yeah. I forgot about that. Robert Loggia, the Commandant of the Marine Corps, Margaret Collin, the White House Communications Director, James Reborn, who plays the evil Secretary of Defense, and poor, poor Harvey Firestein. Oh, what a tragic, in hindsight, horribly tragic, this character in this film. Why do they do him so wrong in this movie? It's very weird that, like, because it's part of the hero's journey and part of the reason why every character is given this, like, circle of sub-characters that they have to care about. But, like, you know, you the it's part it's a reason why the movie is kind of really, like, well-constructed is... Uh, you know, Will Smith's character loses his buddy, Harry Connick Jr. in uh, in a dogfight. Uh, uh, the president loses Mary McDonald, his wife, even after they're tragically reunited and then separated all too soon afterward. Um, uh, and then Jeff Goldblum loses his uh, very gay, neurotic Harvey Firestein boss. <laughs> Whose like last words are like, ugh, <laughs> I don't need this. <laughs> it's so funny. Just it's such my a weird... luck. I'm dying in a impeccably shot practical effect of a wall of fire. Yeah, it's a bizarre choice. I feel like for uh, I don't know. It just that's one of those rewatch moments. Where you're like, why did they? Okay, uh, so of course, with a film spanning this many locations, there were crews all over the place, including Manhattan. Washington, D.C. There were RVs in Flagstaff, Arizona. There was a New Mexico shoot, New Jersey shoot. Post-attack Los Angeles sequences were done in Fontana, California. And also, as mentioned by Randy Quaid, and uh, where he won a bunch of money, Windover, Utah, and West Windover, Nevada. Emmerich said, on the border of Utah, Nevada, the Salt Flats, there's a little town called Windover. They have a couple of casinos there, which in summer nobody goes to because it's too hot. Cheap hotel rooms, so we stayed there for three Three weeks. Devlin said, the first thing we shot was the ending scene. That. We were out on the salt flats of Utah in 123 degree f- heat. They had a tent set up off camera for everybody to gather in the shade. Roland does the first rehearsal and he sends everybody to the tent and the stand-ins come out. All of a sudden, Will Smith walks back out and excuses the stand-in. The other actors see him doing that, and one by one, they came out of the tent. All of them were there in the burning heat. It was a silent statement about the way this project was going to go. Will started it. This is not going to be a show of egos, which I thought was a very cool quote. And also, something I've heard about Will Smith, he likes to do his stand-in work I weirdly was listening to an interview just randomly with uh, one of those comedian podcasts where someone was talking about how they were like, didn't know he was going to just be his own stand in mm-hmm. and was like flubbing their lines a lot and was like having a really hard time. And they mentioned how that's the thing he does. He doesn't let, you know, so if it, there's a lot of over the shoulder shots, right. Mm-hmm. In a film shoot. Right. So a lot of usually, especially for the bigger actors, they will have someone who walks in, who the back of their head looks like them. So they don't have to just stand there while an actor's like delivering lines to the back or to even them, just to get the, the lighting. The right. Head. Just, yeah, it's just a, a lot of tedious work yeah. that if you're a VIP, you don't 
need to do. You don't necessarily do, but I thought that was really cool that that they talked about that. And they talk a lot about it. There was a very one of those shoots, a lot of camaraderie, it sounds like, a lot of working together to get this thing as good as they could. I love the fact that the first thing they shot was that scene of uh uh Pullman, President uh Bill Pullman driving out in the Jeep to meet uh Goldblum and Smith as they like landed in the desert. Because it's supposed to be this big cathartic, like, well, we made it. Ah, my friends, it has been a long journey, but like, haha, we have persevered. And that's like, they have no context to like anything else they're about to do. <laughs> uh, you got to talk about, you got to talk about the other Will Smith moment on set, right? Uh, you're talking about the O.J. Simpson story? Yes. Uh, yeah, this is Bill Pullman's O.J. story. We were in base camp waiting for a shot when they announced the verdict to the O.J. Simpson trial on the radio. I was in high school at the time. I remember I was taking a test in history class, and my history teacher was in the other room watching the results with a different class, and then he ran in and screamed, He's not guilty! Like, he it was like this huge, crazy deal. I don't know if you remember that at all, but yeah, I, I was definitely, definitely tr- one of those I-remember-where-I-was moments. It was right then they knocked on the door. Let's go to set. People were walking in small groups. No one was talking. Everyone is pr- uh, processing quietly. And we got on the set, and it's still quiet. We are waiting for Roland. And then Will said, whoa, standing out here with a lot of angry white folks. <laughs> Everyone starts laughing. Everyone bursts into laughter. He just totally took the tension right out of the room, which it just seemed like this. Is- By the way, we talk also a, a, a time when... Will Smith had not slapped a man on stage. He was like the most lovable guy ever. I, I'm really, I'm really feeling a lot of sad nostalgia mm-hmm. for the past while watching this and researching this. Margaret Collins said there was no endlessly waiting around for the fanciest person to come to set. You got to rehearse and be with each other and have relationships and get to know each other through the roles. Sounds like that's a way better way to do things than the basic standard for film sets. I know that's not going to change, but it really does seem like every time we research something like this, that's the kind of vibe on set, not Mm -hmm. the kind of vibe where there's a lot of like fucking ladder climbing and, and status uh, comparisons. Dean Devlin actually was the one that insisted on Goldblum using the must go faster line from Jurassic (laughs) Park. Goldblum said, I was loath to appropriate from some other character and I hoped Mr. Spielberg wouldn't be unhappy that we'd used it. I think it all worked out and it definitely did. Spielberg was really uh, excited about the film. I'll get to that later. And then there were also another Will Smith moment. There were also a ton of improvised moments in the film. You said how, you know, Will's lines are delivered in a way that just make him feel a lot more, you know, know connected to the audience was a lot more like kind of in the here and now but that was because he improvised a lot of his lines and did it like like as him emmerich said i always love the moment when will is alone with the alien we actually had no lines there because we said we have will smith he will make something up and we were like i mean behind the camera it was so hard not to laugh because he was kicking this thing he was doing all kinds of things and then when he yells when what is that smell you hear actually in the dailies everyone started laughing we did it a couple of times, and he's always pretty right on when he does it again. It was, for me, probably one of my favorite scenes. And uh, Vivica Fox had an issue with a horny dog. Mm. Fox said the dog was a humper, that no. dog that they used for the film. One of the top ten stupidest moments in movie history is when the dog... <laughs> Dodges a fucking yes. death explosion and like they slam the door on the apocalypse at the last minute. Boomer! <laughs> 
the dog was a humper. They would yell cut. And I guess me in those pants and everything, he would just jump on me. Okay, good thing I like dogs. All right, I don't think he was turned on by you as a woman, Vivica Fox. Just because you wore sexy pants doesn't, I don't think a dog would find that. You know what I mean? I just think that there's a little bit of a disconnect on that one. But mm-hmm. uh, back to you, Jake. One thing I want to talk about is the uh, special effects. And I think it really just, God, the practical effects are so visceral and really add a lot to the impact of a lot of of everything that you see on screen. Um, You talked about how they storyboarded everything and so much of the early part of the film, before you see the spaceships, there's all these clever things where they uh, kind of hide the actual size of the spaceship. Um, You see how it like casts a shadow over the moon. You see how it dwarfs the size of a satellite. You see all these things that just like keep this massive, heavily detailed, ominous object uh, in your imagination before the kind of terror happens. And all of these giant models are, uh, you know, it's not just when you think of miniatures, you think of like a cheap little thing. But, the you know, the White House model was gigantic. The spaceship models were gigantic. And one of my favorite tricks that they did is for that big like uh, alien laser wall of fire explosion they kept trying to do uh, shots, test shots, where the explosion just didn't look right. It would just look like a little poof in the middle, and it didn't have that kind of all-consuming wave of destruction that they were going for. And the solution was they would take the city sets, these like gigantic models, and prop them up vertically, and then let the explosion out on the bottom, and then the rising gases, when filmed in perspective gave that perfect wall of terror and fire that you like associate with the movie. I just thought that was really clever. Um, The way the white house just completely just splinters in a million directions is it just, you're watching something actually blow up and uh, in independence day resurgence, the sheer scale that they do in terms of destruction. There are entire cities folding in on itself, landmarks being ripped from the ground Thousands of alien fighters fighting uh, uh, half alien tech jets like all over the place, lasers in every direction. And it's all just kind of noise. It all just doesn't feel real. You're just kind of numb to it. Whereas just, hey, look at this thing. Kaboom! Just hits that much harder. And I I don't know if this makes me a weird old man, but it's just the reliance on practical effects and using the kind of Star Wars style camera motion tracking for a lot of the spaceship effects as well. Uh, just It just feels better seeing these real things. Um, a lot of effects were like really cheaply done in camera yeah. where they just had them like uh, when Will Smith is, when the uh, alien fighter crashes into the desert, they literally just put the camera on the ground and chuck a model on the ground. When Will Smith escapes from his uh, fighter jet, it's just like a Ken doll just shooting out of a prop. Like, <laughs> there's so much low tech in this movie. Yeah, they 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 broke the record for effect shots at the time, totaling over three thousand. A lot of again, the, a lot of those were practical. The model making department built twice as many models than had ever been built for any other production, which is a record that may never be broken. That White House was pretty big, by the way. The model they had for that for those pyrotechnics, they all them fancy. Sp- 
explosions Jake was talking about. They had Joe Vis- Viscosel. Viscosel? Uh, he blew up the Death Star. He worked on Terminator 1 and 2. He understands flame and flame cinema magic and killed it with this because what is this uh film without its fantastic pyro uh it all all scattered throughout especially in that very opening you know quarter of the film opening third of the film uh yeah i'm glad you talked about that whole how they got those crazy uh flames going through the city street street shots that shit was insane uh david brenner said when they were going into it david brenner was the editor We were putting in cards from the script. That's what we were using to tell the story. That and sound. I showed Roland the first cut, and we came across the destruction sequence where the aliens attack. After we showed the whole thing, Roland collapsed. He fell onto the ground and was like, oh my God, how are we ever going to do this? Because he was seeing these visual effects shots that just didn't exist. Mm -hmm. And now it's more... In the current time, they they don't just use like pictures of what's going to happen put into the film. You know, when they're looking at these things, they they have like a pre rendered, yeah, like yeah, pre they, they call it pre They didn't have that at the time, so he's literally just looking at pictures of the impossible in his film and just being like, "I don't even okay, I guess we'll figure this out." And that's really cool. And that that's like the magic of this movie, right? Is just that they didn't even know if they could pull it off and then they super duper do. The alien, which was awesome, by the way, we, we forget how well done that alien I exoskeleton. I love and the reveal that so the good. alien did, that we were like just just getting familiar enough because like it was getting hauled around in Will Smith's truck was actually like a weird bio suit and there was an even goopier alien inside yeah. it. Oh, so good. So good. That was created by production designer Patrick Tatopoulos. He'd worked on a bunch of stuff starting in the 90s, including Seven, Bram Stoker's Dracula, and of course, the one of the classic, legendary, great films of all time, Super Mario Bros. What? And... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, he worked on that as well. Weird. And yeah, he really killed it with that. And, you know, I think, again, I want to speak towards like, I think when you watch, especially back in the day, but even now, you watch trailers and you're like, well, of course they're going to nail the thing they're showing us in the trailer. That doesn't mean they're necessarily going to nail everything. And usually, I was used to sci-fi films that just totally flubbed the alien <laughs> reveal. And I feel like this film, everything paid off, right, for mm-hmm. at the time, including the alien reveal, which you didn't get a, any taste of that in the trailer. Mm-hmm. And it was still so well done, so scary. All of a sudden, I'm in a horror movie as a kid. I'm terrified of this thing. The whole thing where it communicates with the scientists that it's like choking with the tentacles mm-hmm. was such a cool moment. So, yeah, I just think they, they big shout outs to Patrick Totopoulos because it was definitely like his, the note was like, give us, and this is like such a fucking mm-hmm. film director note, give us something new but familiar, right? And make it so that it can't, the audience can't immediately clock it as a guy in a suit. Yes, that too. Yeah, for sure. And they totally killed that as well. Let's talk about, uh, we could talk about the music, Okay, so according to uh, an article that I I read that kind of talked about all this, um, the uh, David Arnold, the composer, uh, supposedly had a rough time with this score. They wanted something very patriotic and something very Americana. And after a lot of uh, toiling and frustration, he ends up just like cramming out uh, most of it in a Los Angeles hotel room. 
Uh, it is described as having ferocious patriotism uh, and a sense of Americana as vigorous as the plot itself. There was no plug remained unpulled for Independence Day with all the snare ripping, wild piccolos, blaring trumpets and cooing, and cooing choral elements necessary for such a story. Uh, this is, I, uh, April, if you can play from the Independence Day soundtrack, uh, The Day We Fight Back, if you can play that, holy shit. It might as well, like, I, I want to salute an eagle just listening to this shit. It's incredible. <laughs> Was my eagle. Yay, I salute it. <laughs> Sorry, that was whatever that you say, clown my character. bird president, who is also a clown. <laughs> yeah, the clown character I made up earlier also played the bird uh, as well in the film. Of course, we all know the bird from the film. Uh, so, getting into, yeah, the music is so well done. Uh, I, I love how it was just like, yeah, this is the most American thing we could make possible. It was recorded, by the way, with a 90 piece orchestra and a 46 member choir, which is pretty impressive. So getting into the post-production release, Fox didn't like the length, but Emmerich sat down with the head of the studio and said, hey, all right, you tell me what to cut out of this thing. And they kept watching, and apparently the studio guy head was just like, yeah, that kind of has to stay. Yeah, that needs to kind of stay. I will say the momentum does dip, like, once they get to Area 51 a little bit, mm-hmm. but um, still, it, it I feel like it all kind of needs to be... Well, they introduced all these characters. Cast. They give them, like, yeah. a... Uh, they give... You know, you see from all of these dis- different perspectives how they're reacting to the carnage. And then, you know, you got to take a moment to check in with them and, like, get into what the counterattack means for all of them individually. You got to figure out what Randy Quaid's character means. You got to do... Actually... Uh, supposedly in the original version, and they apparently shot some kind of thing about this, he wasn't supposed to be part of the counterattack. He was going to steal a missile and like yes. duct tape it to his crop duster plane. Yeah, they they the original actually filmed all of this, which is one of the big, that was the big reshoot they had to do in post. They had Quaid's character flying into the alien ship on a biplane with a bomb taped to the wing. Test audiences definitely deemed it too goofy. Like they showed it and it got a big laugh in a way that made Emmerich and Delvin be like, that's not a good laugh. That's mm. one of those bad laughs. So uh, they had brought Randy Quaid back in to reshoot that and uh, re, you know, kind of do a redo on that whole situation. Quaid said of the experience, I sat in my trailer for six hours waiting to get into the cockpit to say a bunch of nonsensical lines to a piece of tape. Thank you, Randy Quaid, for your many fantastic quotes for this film. Uh, it's really sad. Apparently, like... He was really great to work with his uh, and then when they did especially the reshooting and on the press tour, they had to actually drop him from it because his apparently his wife was just really, really difficult to work with. And 
Um, you know, he denies this, by the way, says that like there wasn't even a press tour, which isn't true. And his wife had nothing to do with anything. But it does kind of seem like um, it kind of seems like a toxic situation, knowing what I know about Rennie Quaid since this point in time. And I, I hate it because I love him as a performer. He's has does some of my favorite roles like uh, you know Christmas Vacation is like one of the best his character in that's so funny and uh, he's so good in this movie but yeah it's sad they had to eventually drop him from the press store and kind of distance themselves from him Devlin said the last test screening we did was in Las Vegas and the audience didn't know what movie they were coming to see Roland and I are sitting in the back of the theater and the film starts as soon as the audience sees Independence Day, they went insane. The movie hadn't started yet, and the audience is freaking out like we are in a rock concert. <laughs> this, of course, attributed to those that Super Bowl teaser. There was so much hype around this movie. It was such a big deal. Uh, Emmerich, Devlin, and Bill Pullman also got to go to the White House for a private screening of the film for then-President Bill Clinton Jesus. and First Lady Hillary Clinton. It was this whole crazy thing. Like Apparently, they were cheering. Uh, Emmerich said he walked in, and Bill Clinton was holding the biggest tub of popcorn he'd ever seen in his life. They were too nervous to sit with the president and and Miss Clinton. They were uh, Miss Clinton. They were uh, they stood in the back. Bill Pullman. Oh no! When the, you're invited to the White House, it's implied that you should sit in the president's lap because you're America's <laughs> special boy. They said it, it was a crappy screening room. By the way, it was very like low low tech. And uh, Bill Pullman finally said because Bill Clinton was like, "Go sit down next to me while we watch a movie." And so Bill Pullman sat down next to him and ended up getting a tour of the White House via Bill Clinton afterwards. It was this very special moment. So the film was released on July 3rd, 1996, and of course, shattered box office records at home and worldwide. Spielberg ends up contacting Dean and Roland shortly after it hit theaters, Delvin said of this. And he goes, I loved all of your references, especially to all of my movies. He also said, I just want you to be prepared. Right now, everybody is celebrating your movie. But a year from now, they are only going to focus on how much money it made. And they are going to somehow think the movie was not as good because it made so much money. But just know, you made a great movie. I think that was pretty wise uh, knowledge to impart to them. Roland said, Spielberg invited us to the Jurassic Park 2 set. And the first line he says to Dean and me is, you guys reinvented the blockbuster. After this movie, nobody can do a normal blockbuster it's anymore, tr- and which it was I think right. is true. Especially when you look at what the fuck happened with uh, Jurassic Park 2. A hundred percent. Roland also said Spielberg remarked to them that, quote, what you guys have done with that film, everybody will imitate you. He was right. When you look at Marvel movies today, it's always about alien invasion, and a lot of stuff gets broken. Also, these films don't take themselves too seriously. Mm. But I had learned that from Back to the Future, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, but that was so true. It was like that opening is so intense and so heavy. So having Goldblum and Will Smith in there, having them making wisecrack, having the levity all throughout like if that didn't exist it just would have been too much you know just imagining an alternate cut of the movie where like uh will smith's like nothing not to be disrespectful sir but i'm looking for a chance to whoop et's ass or like elvis has left the building and just like someone's like what the fuck stop making jokes a three billion people died that is inappropriate (laughs) yeah yeah or yeah yeah I always thought these things would kill me, says Jeff Goldblum as he reaches for the cigar. (laughs) So I think those are my two touchstones, right? This film, every big blockbuster after it, it seems like, including the juggernaut MCU and all that, Mm -hmm. seems to have really, really, you know, been heavily influenced by the 
many parts of this film. And then on top of that, it just brings me back to a certain nostalgia for my childhood while also bringing me back to a certain nostalgia for this country yeah. and what this country was about. And that makes me a little like upset and stuff. But also, man, this I get it. If you're listening this way in the future, maybe you don't know. But if you're listening to this and, and you know, as it's the time of its release, you may not be super thrilled about celebrating the 4th of July this year. Um but maybe just throw this movie on and just pretend it's 1997 and your mom just dropped you off at the movie theater and you're about to just go on the ride of your life and uh, you actually don't like hate it here. Mm. Jake, what what do you have to say before we close out? Any 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 words about Independence Day resurgence? Uh, it, it you know they've been working on it since 2009. It stars Liam Hemsworth, Jeff Goldblum, Micah Monroe. It's set 20 years after the events of the first film with the Earth. Defense uh, Earth Space Defense Force established via the United Nations. They have reverse engineered the alien tech and melded it with human tech in preparation for a second invasion. A lot of people seem to hate it or didn't see it at all. What do you think about it? Independence Day research. Watching it directly after the first one and having the context of the first movie does definitely help my enjoyment of resurgence. Uh, apparently, uh, it was the absence of Will Smith who. Uh, took on his role in Suicide Squad over actually making this and uh, the studio's unwillingness to foot the $50 million payday that he wanted in order to get drawn back to it that uh, kind of threw Emmerich for a loop. He had this whole idea with the return of Captain Hiller and all these characters, and then he had to like really just kind of slap together this like uh, new class where it was, you know... um, uh, Will Smith's like adopted son from the first movie and like Liam Hemsworth is just this charismatic black hole. Like, oh my God, the worst Hemsworth. I'll say it. Not a good Hemsworth. <laughs> the scale of destruction is fascinating, but again, it's all digital and it doesn't have the same pop. Uh, it's very interesting. They bring back Brent Spiner. They kind of just say, oh, he didn't die. He was in a coma the whole time. And he uh, is a gay character. He has he has a lot of fun. If you're a spiner head, if you're one of the data bros out there, uh, you might actually get more out of this movie than the average movie going public. Um, but in the end, I can see how it just wouldn't uh, have the it just wouldn't be what people wanted. Maybe because, you know, there was. Already like America was a little bit unrecognizable and the America of 1996 was like that much farther gone or just, you know, Roland Emmerich kind of burnt his goodwill after so many just uh, cookie cutter uh, movies where things blew up. And then Dean Devlin coming in with Geostorm that also nobody cared about. Mm -hmm. Also, tons of like China uh, bait. Like it's very clear that they got a lot of money from China. There's entire scenes in Mandarin and there's like product placement for uh, Chinese food brands everywhere. It's very surreal. Hmm. It's not, you know, it's very cheap on Amazon Prime. It was like five bucks just to own it outright in uh, 4K. So I just went ahead and got it. I don't regret watching it, but it's kind of it's kind of too little too late in terms of uh, what the, you know, yeah, anybody... it's I was hype when I first heard about it. And it was one of those things where you're like, oh, hell yeah, they're doing that. And then it just came and went. And I was like, wait, what at? What now? And people were like, no. I was like, oh. <laughs> also, I was upset at uh, the casting of Micah Monroe 
as uh, Patricia, the daughter of the president, all grown up, because the daughter of the president in the original movie was a very young Mae Whitman from uh, she was in Scott Pilgrim. She was uh, Anne in Arrested Development. Uh, and like she is age appropriate to play herself in theory grown up, but they she was not as hot. So they didn't get her. I was telling Marie about this beautiful, beautiful fiance, Marie. And she was like, someone in the studio is like, we can't cast egg. <laughs> we, eggs not in the movie. And I was like, fuck, that's going in the episode. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Well, uh, regardless, I'm still glad we got the first one. And I do think it's worth a re- rewatch. It super holds up. It's very fun. Just another testament to practical effects being uh, a really good way to go for big action set pieces. And that that stuff still looks really good, man. So definitely check it out uh, if you got the time. And if this episode piqued your interest, I think that's it. However, for us, our episode on the film Independence Day. Thank you so much, everybody, for joining us. If you'd like to support us further, check out patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. You get weekly bonus episodes for $5 a month. For $15 a month, you can join us for a Sunday study session. This last Sunday, we watched Independence Day. It was awesome. Uh, so, yeah, consider that. And consider checking me out on Twitch, twitch.tv forward slash holdenators ho. That's twitch.tv forward slash holdenators ho. I do streams Monday, Tuesday, Friday. Always a blast to catch you guys out there supporting Sam what's up let me know you just listened to the latest episode all that good stuff you know so please please consider swinging by jake hey hold on i just kind of realized this we've been off of spotify exclusivity for like a couple like a like close to a year already it's yeah, been dog. a while wow and we just like forgot that itunes reviews were a thing oh yeah dude please i think it's like lapsed in a weird way too and yeah. kind of because because we've been off for so long so yeah please write a review star give us those five stars give us a sub give us a follow it definitely helps with discoverability and hey the more uh people that discover the show the less weird stares you get when people are like hey i'm a fan of uh wizard and the bruiser and people are like oh i've heard of that yeah exactly i mean i heard of that instead of being like what you're an idiot and like hitting you a lot, <laughs> yeah, which is yeah. what they usually do when they hear you like something they don't know about. It's it's always a throat strike. They always go directly yeah. for <laughs> a throat strike. Yeah, yeah. I, I now wear a metal <laughs> giant necklace around my neck because if I have to go tell people about stuff I'm interested in because I'm tired of it. I'm speaking through a cyborg windpipe because I've been throat <laughs> striked so many times. <laughs> Have you talked about Puppet Jared yet? Oh, uh, I do streams. Uh, YouTube.com slash Puppet Jared, Twitch.tv slash Puppet Jared. The flagship stream is the Cartoon Dumpster, a uh, weekly uh, animated atrocity survey where we hang out and watch weird, bad old cartoons from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. If you like this podcast, I guarantee you will enjoy that stream. Thursdays, 7 p.m. Eastern, the Cartoon Dumpster. All right, and hey, always remember, never stop bruising. And keep on whizzing, even as your world falls apart, even as your (laughs) health declines. Just whiz as hard as you possibly can. (laughs) And call your doctor if you experience pain. (laughs) This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com.
With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash activecash. Every day, our world gets a little more connected, but a little further apart. But then, there are moments that remind us to be more human. Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica, empathy is our best policy.